This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Hello, everyone. It's Christoph Trapp. Thanks for listening to another Business Storytelling Podcast episode. I'm joined by Andy Crestodina, Chief Marketing Officer and Co-Founder at Orbit uh, Media Studios. Andy, thanks for joining me. I'm glad to be here. It's great to be doing this uh, and to connect. And we first met, I was just thinking about that, at an Internet Marketing Association event in Chicago. I think, mm-hmm. is, that, is that your recollection too? It is. It was here. It was in um, like a little conference and uh, it was a while ago. That would have yeah. been like five years or more, like well, ways back. Yeah, 2014. And that's kind of what I'm thinking. Maybe yeah. 2015, but mm-hmm. something like that at the Google headquarters right before they moved. Nonetheless, that's right. it was Yep, I remember. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, the reason I ask Andy to come on is because I end up quoting Andy all the time. This oh. is what's happening in SEO. Here's why you blog. Here's why you uh, do certain things. And he's already, he always has information out there, uh, new thought leadership. Um, so I, I wanted to ask him on. And one thing that you guys do all the time is uh, to do the, you do the blogging survey every year, mm-hmm. right? For the last That's five right. years? Yeah, this was the sixth year. 2019 was year six. So yeah, it's five years of data and six years of research. So yep, it's a, uh, uh, year after year it's a program not just a piece of content and how many and, and what was the, the the point of it why did you start it why, why do you do it every year well it's become a pretty popular strategy or tactic uh to produce original research um it wasn't as big of a uh, wasn't as popular of a thing back then now a lot of people are doing original research but the idea is to do something that's totally original that literally just contributes new information to your field uh to create something that is sort of conjuring news and, and creates a bit of press. Um, it answers a question that was otherwise, that was previously unanswered. Um, a bunch of them, but the main one we were answering was like, how long does it take to write a blog post? Mm-hmm. And it's, um, uh, I mean, it's, it's just a, almost inevitably when done well, uh, original research is like an SEO and social media home run. It is. And, and I know people refer back to it all the time. I mean, I refer back to it. So for example, let's dive into some of the numbers here. You know, it used to be, I remember maybe, I want to say 2005. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. a long time ago. People would say short, short, short stuff on the web, right? And mm-hmm. some people still say that today. And I still argue with people today sometimes. And I say, you need to write longer, 750 to 1500 words or or something mm-hmm. like that. And then when they argue back and they say, well, people don't read online. I say, well, mm-hmm. they skim. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I still haven't convinced them, I pull up your survey and your survey actually found our mm-hmm. need to be longer, right? It shows the trend toward writing longer. Um, and, and then it opens that question. It basically starts the conversation right there. It's like, why does longer content correlate with strong results? Uh, how does it make sense that people are writing longer year over year if attention spans are short? And I love the topic. I love the debate. Uh, my shorthand conclusion is that just because people have short attention spans doesn't mean that an article should be short. 
an article simply should be as long as it needs to be to cover the topic completely doesn't mean that people will read every word. Of course, people won't read every word. But if I land out an article that, that is answering you know, six questions and only one of them is relevant to me, I'm more likely to find the answer if the article is thorough, even though I don't read the whole thing. It's a weird idea that because people have short attention spans, articles should be short. It, because people need information, articles should provide all the answers. So, um, And also that attention span thing is kind of a myth. I like to quote Jerry Seinfeld, who says, there's no such thing as attention span. Uh, people will have an infinite attention span uh, if you're entertaining them. And it's true. I mean, who hasn't binge watched a show? Why do they, if it's true that people have short attention spans, then why do people create two hour movies and and bingeable, you know, 10 episode series um, and, or um, you know, 2000 word blog posts? The reason is great content needs to be thorough, detailed, answer every question, entertaining and complete. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm just actually looking at your your article here, orbitmedia.com, um, on on the survey, and it's a long article. I don't know how many words it is, but I'm thousands. not actually yeah. thousands of words, right? But I'm not actually I'm not reading it like I would read a book, right? The way I'm mm-hmm. actually consuming it, I'm saying, <laughs> okay, what am I? What do I need to know, right? Okay, what's interesting? So you mm-hmm. have headlines in there. You make me jump, you, you or you let me jump to the, mm-hmm. the different answers. Um, mm-hmm. You have some highlights, right, which we already jumped in on. You have a graphic, which is mm-hmm. easy to skim. You have headlines every, you know, two, three hundred words, more mm-hmm. graphics. Um, so it's not that I have a short attention span, but I'm, I'm, I'm being picky about what I'm actually trying to consume, right? right. Yeah. Um, I mean, you wouldn't make a salad bar that has just two items because people can only eat, you know, so much food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm encouraging you to... to to just browse through and choose your own adventure. If um, one thing I do recommend, so articles should be as long as they need to be to cover the topic completely. I might write, I once wrote an article about how to give people access to Google analytics. 800 words is all that needed to be. Once wrote an article about how to design a website. 4,700 words was the <laughs> shortest I could make it. <laughs> so it should, the topic should drive the length, but then in each article, you need to make it scannable. You need to make it visual. So I would always encourage that people make sure there is something of visual interest at every scroll depth. So there isn't a desert of text or that you get down to these long, you know, a part of the, the page that's like a long blocky paragraphs. So write short words, short sentences, short paragraphs, use lots of visuals and contributor quotes, but make the article as long as it needs to be to cover the topic completely and not one word longer. And and there's my new Andy Crestadina quote. Um, you don't only have two items on a salad bar because people can only eat two items. That is right. yeah. fantastic. <laughs> Your idea. Yeah. Fantastic. Wouldn't be a salad bar. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah. let's talk about the images really quickly. Uh, so your survey actually found, right, that when people, so very few people include 3% of bloggers include 10 plus images per article. I have to say, I don't think I've ever included 10 images. Well, now, if I'm writing about something like in social media here, so like a last yesterday I wrote about how do you schedule tweets and Twitter, right? It's a new function, mm-hmm. but it's actually not as easy as you think it would be from mobile. And mm-hmm. so I, I blogged about it. So that one probably had five images, right? But mm-hmm. I'm showing people how to do it. 
but mm-hmm. other, other than that, I don't think I've ever used 10 images. So I'm not, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm in the majority here. 3% of mm-hmm. the people responding have done that. But then 75% mm-hmm. of people have, uh, are reporting that they're seeing strong results when they use a lot of images. Right. So this is a, the report is, a, is blogging trends. It's not prescriptive <laughs> advice. It's simply correlations. People who tend to produce more visual content tend to report stronger results. So it's not that this, you, you shouldn't read this and say, my articles need to be 2,300 and, you know, right. or uh, 1,236 words. They need to have 10 images. They need to have three contributor quotes. They need to have, this isn't telling you what you need to do. It's just showing correlations. So yep. my content, actually, I think the, um, there are more than 10 images on average per post, partly because the format is how-to stuff, like you just mentioned, your article, um, with lots of screenshots. Other people, right? Like take a look at Mark Schaefer, way more successful, brilliant blogger, like, like a genius in his own right. N- never include 10 images, right? It's just not necessary. It's not relevant. It's not appropriate. But the trend is that um, people who create more visual content many images or using videos. These are people who are reporting stronger results. So uh, it's, that's the takeaway is that blogging is visual and uh, bloggers who produce visual content uh, tend to see better results. And it should kind of be a little bit of a call to arms to, to make, make sure that your content is highly visual if possible. Mm-hmm. And so what's your recommendation for what kind of images should people use? I mean, do you recommend uh, original photography. I mean, screenshots is kind of easy, right? When you have a how-to, here's mm-hmm. the screenshot, how to do it. But let's say I don't have any uh, any images. Do you recommend people get stock art or what's your philosophy on, on that? Well, a friend of mine says that if you can't write a caption for it, it's a stock image. And that's kind of a good test. It's like if you're just... And um, you and I are uh, have been mentioned in lots of blogs. I won't name names. You and I have both appeared on the same sites that have mm-hmm. very popular blogs that are out of lots of stock images. I understand that. I'm not recommending against that per se, but the best images are as meaningful as the words on the page. They're adding to the conversation. So let's say that you've got an idea for a bullet list, but maybe it's maybe more like a table. Make that a visual, make it a little table. Maybe you're talking about a trend. Can you find something that's a chart? Add a chart. Charts, tables, diagrams. These aren't screenshots, but they're, You know, if you're ever talking about a statistic, you can turn a statistic, even a single number, into a little visual with just uh, some graphic treatment, and um, it now you've got a great social asset. So definitely, don't miss the chance. If nothing else, don't miss the chance to upgrade the content from text to images, or better yet, from images to video. What um, what kind of advice do you have for people to get going on video? Well, it's to um, uh, Jeff Julian, who said this. Mm-hmm. The reason why people don't make videos is because uh, they uh, they just don't like how they look. They don't like how they, they don't like to see themselves on video. So the first thing is to pour yourself a a, a good shot of bourbon and um, <laughs> man up. <laughs> like just get over that. Uh, it's psychological. You are hurting your marketing results. You're hurting your personal brand reputation. You're hurting the opportunity to teach because of a psychological barrier in your mind that you, that you can overcome. Um, 
sometimes you could, you know, it's a, it's a matter of imposter syndrome. You know, who do I think I am to make this video? So if you can get over that, um, the technology barriers are basically zero. Mm-hmm. You've got a, you've got a, you know, video studio in your pocket. Um, the distribution barriers are basically zero. The, the, this could go on LinkedIn and, you know, you could have a video live on LinkedIn in three minutes. Um, so it's mostly just psychological. Um, I think that if uh, one thing that, that may encourage people to jump in is to consider making very short videos. You did this well uh, to introduce people to a piece of content. So rather than sharing something on LinkedIn, uh, make a tiny one minute video of you promoting it, make a tiny commercial for that piece of content instead of just writing, you know, 15 words, uh, the results will be exponentially better. And uh, you're not, and and it's just a social video. So it's going to be, it's going to kind of, get buried and it won't be out in the world forever and you're not making something for the library of congress it's just gonna it's just social media so it it maybe will help people get comfortable with turning on their camera and what's funny about what you just said to me is because so i i do very few me talking to the camera video and part of that is i'm not too shy or anything like that to to go on camera but some of these tools have made it so much easier to just do audio right and so sometimes I feel like, well, maybe it's easier just to record a podcast. Well, yesterday I did, I did the article on the Twitter scheduling. And then I also did a live stream on Twitter, on hmm. Twitter and Periscope, right? But now you can do audio only, right? So five years ago, or I don't know when it started, but mm-hmm. three years ago or whatever, I would have done a video, but today I can do audio. So, yeah. um, which people listen to as well so are you okay are you a fan of people just talking to the camera do you, i mean do you um like the, the selfie selfie mm-hmm. video right holding the camera talking to the camera that's you've seen that as a good strategy for content well if you compare it to just a regular social media post it's way better it it, it gives the social <laughs> network what it wants and pushes social pushes those um those posts video posts are more likely to appear at the top of people's streams uh, they're more likely to get engagement. They're more likely to get clicks um, if you're trying to drive traffic. So, yeah, I mean, if you're if the alternative is just it's an example of like original research or long form content or, um, you know, adding lots of visuals. It's we're, what we're seeing basically. And the big takeaway is 10x efforts. Making a social video instead of just a social media post, it's going to take me mm-hmm. instead of two minutes, it takes me 20 minutes. That's 10x the effort will likely get you these days 100x the results. Not even exaggerating, like the engagement, the views, the clicks, the shares, the comments will likely be 100 times what you would have gotten from a normal, simple, boring text social media post. So Mm -hmm. yes, my recommendation in general, in content, in marketing in general, is to uh, crush your competitors by putting in 10 times the effort into that individual piece be it a social post or a, or a, a piece of content and, uh, and measure carefully. And you may find that the ROI for that 10 X effort um, or three X effort, whatever it might be is greater than uh, the incremental uh, cost. Right. So I would um, that's what I'm finding. And what I'm recommending is uh, to simply go big because it's just so competitive. It's so difficult. Mm-hmm. There's so much content out there, Christoph. You know it, right? So uh, don't make another median quality thing. Uh, <laughs> the great is way better than good. Uh, and everyone knows it. And everyone mm-hmm. can find something great. So try to make something great at least some of the time. 
It is so competitive. That is another true statement. So when I when we're done here, I'm I'm going to record um, a quick video. I might talk about the salad bar or something that was <laughs> that's still top of my mind. Um, so which way, Andy, should I hold the phone? <laughs> oh, I don't have data to answer that question. Uh, this is social, right? So I think that there are people making the case for the square mm-hmm. aspect ratio because that could work well for both desktop and mobile. Um, if you believe your audience is on desktop, I think it's going to look a little better on a on a landscape portrait uh, or landscape aspect, holding a phone uh, sideways. Um, if they're looking at it on mobile, I think it might look better. You might get more of the screen more bigger percentage of the screen if you hold it straight mm-hmm. up and down. Um, mm-hmm. If you're making a YouTube video landscape, uh, but for social media video, I'm not really sure. And I know a guy who's like a LinkedIn video pro who says uh, he uses an app that kind of squares it off, adds captions. Um, more, more so than the aspect ratio, I'd probably say, uh, as in landscape or portrait, I'd probably say that adding captions, which is a lot more work, um, is the, the killer differentiator between social media videos um there's services that do it for you there's apps that make it easy to add there's tools where you can actually listen and type and control it nicely but um social media videos that have captions are uh gonna get way better engagement than one without so i'll, I'll have to research that app um you know what's interesting about that i heard 90 percent of videos are played without sound on so I'm sure. Just... <laughs> yeah, they just get scrolled, scrolled past, in other words, right? They just get skipped. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, what's interesting about the, the reason I ask about which, what's your philosophy on which way to hold the phone? Of course, the answer is it depends. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I used to holler at people and say, hold the phone um, horizontal, right? So mm-hmm. flip it over. Um, and that was mostly because on, on desktop, it looks nice. And then one yeah. day, somebody on the team didn't hold it that way. And they posted a video that was... Um, upside you know the vertical Mm -hmm. right the vertical um, and I watched it on my phone and it immediately filled up my screen and I was like this is so much better yeah (laughs) so yeah it all depends where your audience is it is Uh, yep yep I'm feeling that too so um, so let's talk about paid paid promotion a little bit I know you guys talk about that in, in your survey um, you know, back in the day, I mean, my experience has been a lot more used to work on social, mm-hmm. especially organically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, today reach is going down. I mean, even there was a number I saw the other day. Facebook now has 7 million advertisers. <laughs> I think Michael Stelsner reported that number. 7 million. There's wow. not even enough. There's not even enough space for mm-hmm. all of them to be show, uh, showing their stuff. So what's your philosophy on, on, on uh, distributing content and what have you seen out there that works and that doesn't work currently? I am uh, not currently uh, a user of paid promotion, but the research shows year after year that marketers that use paid promotion for content are reporting stronger results than marketers who don't. So it's, it's an example of where um, I'm learning from my own content and the <coughs> survey is pushing me toward a channel that I'm not familiar with or comfortable with. So uh, I've been able to get basically meet my my goals without paid promotion, but uh, definitely I'm missing out. There's almost no question that I that with a small spend I couldn't you know I, I could get a great traction. Um, we do a live event every year uh, or a conference every year, and that's um uh, we did a little bit of paid promotion for that to a very specific kind of 
LinkedIn profile type. And um, it worked very, very well. That was encouraging. But um, yeah, I, I, I just have to say that uh, the organic reach in social and search will continue to decline forever. These companies do not want to send you free traffic. And therefore, uh, marketers who are open to making an investment in their content, you, touch, you just talked to Joe. Joe says this, right? Pay. Mm-hmm pay for <laughs> that's the game we're playing you know unless you've built a giant email list you may need to start paying uh, to get traction in search or social you, you know what's interesting too uh, I, I i do very little paid promotion of content um but i find when i do i want to see results <laughs> yeah <laughs> do you know right. you're measuring so, carefully like i'm like i like i spend 10 bucks and i expect that to be that 10x return or or whatever um mm-hmm. and when i do a when i do an article you know, and I don't necessarily feel that pressure out of the gate. Um, mm-hmm. Keyword research, um, you, you know, looks like uh, about a quarter of respondents do that. Um, I do that most of the time. How, how do you, what, what's your um, guidance for people on keyword research? How, I know we can probably talk about that for three hours, but mm-hmm. in, a, in a nutshell, what's, what's something you would recommend for people to currently consider? Well, my favorite approach to content is to start with the idea and then ask yourself if there's a keyword opportunity. Uh, I know that there's marketers who do this kind of weird thing where they start with a keyword and then try to create an article around that. I think that's strange. Uh, I, would, I think it's, uh, you're going to get a better result if you allow for inspiration and you don't have a keyword first approach. Instead, you take, you know, I'm going to write an article about X. Okay, cool. Is someone searching for this? If no, don't do keyword research. Just write the article you want to write. Not everything has to be relevant in search. There's more to life than Google, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, what I do is, okay, I'm going to create this thing. I'm excited about it. I believe it should exist. I'm going to work hard at it. I'm going to make my best effort to make this the best piece of content I can. I definitely want people to see it once it's live. So can I align it with a key phrase? Um, are people looking for this? And this is a skill of a content strategist. You should be able to look at a headline or look at an article or topic and, and, and know whether or not that's going to get traction in search or in social. In other words, is this answering a question or is this challenging an assumption that's search versus social? Is this meeting expectations or is this a little bit unexpected? That's search versus social. You know, is this going to be a long form text-based thing or is this kind of a more uh, visual and uh, emotional? That's search versus social. Cool. Okay. So if this thing meets that criteria and it, and it does seem to be a thing that answers questions and is, you know, has a keyword opportunity, then no doubt I'm going all out. I'm going to research the phrase. I'm going to choose a phrase I have a chance of ranking for. I'm going to find all the semantically related phrases for my topic. I'm going to incorporate those all into the thing. I actually did a piece once. Uh, I'll share it with you. This was just my, my most recent article. I recorded myself writing an entire article. It was a four-hour process. Uh, I did all the keyword research up front. I did semantic SEO, finding the finding and incorporated the related phrases, and uh, then compressed that whole thing into a like a like a, a shorter video of me narrating my entire process. And it's quite involved. There's a lot of steps. Um, but if you're serious about search, your goal is to make the best piece of content on that topic. So of course I'm going all out. Um, so I have a video I can share with you or a linked mm-hmm. article that shows literally how to write a high-ranking blog post step-by-step the entire process 
from uh, the keyword research, evaluating competition, choosing from your options, writing the headline, the title tag, constructing the article, um, and semantic SEO. Yeah. Yes, please do. And we'll, we'll link to that um, from, from the article here and the, the show notes. You know, it's interesting to me too. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of always trying to figure out what works and what doesn't in keyword research certainly is one strategy, but I'm always end up being surprised. Not maybe not always, but there's still articles. I end up being surprised, right? Like one time, do you remember when Instagram rolled out the live function, but they mm-hmm. rolled it out in phases and because they rolled it out in phases, I literally got a million views <laughs> because wow. I wrote about it. I wrote about um, how you get it, when you get it, um, how you know that you got it, blah, blah, blah. And because, you know, they rolled it out in phases. So everybody who didn't have it, they were all searching for it. How come I don't have it? I thought it's coming out. And a lot of the, what we'll call the mainstream media outlets, right? They covered mm-hmm. high level, like uh, Instagram is rolling it out, but they didn't roll out. The U.S. has it now, or half of the U.S. has it now. So interesting. Um, I had no idea that that was about to take off. Right? I just wrote about it because I thought it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, that so. was like uh, that kind of thing. I love when that happens. Uh, when you write about a trend and get traffic from search, it's probably be a long. Uh, you're going to see that tail off sooner because it's about uh, some new trend, and I've seen results mm-hmm. that that way before. Um, and then also I've gotten results from other types of articles, which are like evergreen, like most, this is, this is going to sound hilarious. The most popular article I've ever written was about how to design a website footer. (laughs) It's ranked number one for like website footer design for three or four years, like hundreds of thousands of views over time. So there's kind of, there's, there's a type of SEO where you are informing the world on a major trend and you rank for that. And you're helping people with that answer for what's new now. But, and then there's the other type, which is like the evergreen thing, which can create some really long-term uh, durable visibility. But um, it's also sort of funny, like, really? Wow, website footers? Okay, that, I guess that's what people want. Um, uh, it, it's ranked forever, so it's kind of funny. So the maybe as a final thought here, what I'm hearing, you, I mean, it's like uh, Andy has a blog post for every occasion, right? I mean, <laughs> um, so... What that means, though, is you keep creating content, right? So you're not um, you're not slowing down or doing one article a year or whatever it might be. Um, how mm-hmm. do you find the right cadence that works for you? Uh, that's a great question. I there's a minimum, I believe, where I need to have a piece of content every so often to stay top of mind with my audience. We build websites. People need us every three years. They, uh, they take a month or two to decide who to hire. I need an article every two weeks to stay on people's radar, to be top of mind in general. <clears throat> so there's a minimum uh, frequency for publishing and for email that I believe can be aligned with the company's sales cycle and buying interval. Sales cycle, two months. Buying interval, three years. That's web design. So that's just being relevant in content in general and having something for your audience and having a pulse on your website and in your in your um, audiences, inboxes, and social streams. Um, so, at, but yeah, go ahead. So, well, but then beyond that, my I don't need more content than that. I've I've never published more than once every two weeks. That's it. So I'm trying to go deeper in the content and less frequent. Um, that's just my strategy. So basically, if it takes a couple months, right, you have the chance to at least appear 
four times with new articles in their stream. Um, and, and you, of course, can show up with old articles, too, if they're searching for something. Yeah, if they're searching for something. Um, but if you have a prospect that's considering hiring you and uh, or a prospect who hired someone else and you want them to have to keep you in mind next time they need what you do, uh, that is one of the most powerful forms of content. It's it's just to keep visibility, to stay top of mind. It's sales support. It's the autopilot for um, staying connected. So for that, uh, yeah, there's almost like a minimum where almost no brand should publish less than monthly. Um, you know, monthly would be the minimum. But um, but yeah, beyond that, uh, I don't need to be a daily blogger. That would be totally unnecessary. So as an example, if we're one example, one and a half million visitors per year and uh, 1,900 form submissions a year, a third of which are qualified leads um, with... Uh, one and a half marketers. It's half of my job and it's all of Amanda's job and a publishing frequency of um, every two weeks for our, our content and then a guest blogger every two weeks. So we get up to almost weekly. Um, that is totally sufficient to be the only source of demand for a five and a half million dollar 40 person company. That's it. That's all we need. We don't need to publish every day. Fantastic story. And how... So content marketing is a long game, right? Mm -hmm. Overnight success doesn't doesn't exist. How long ago did you start? That's relevant too, right? Great question. Uh, Twelve years. It's uh, I started publishing in two thousand seven, so that was. um, But I'm also in. So for some of the listeners, maybe like, oh, it's kind of you know, really hard that Andy started early. No wonder he's getting these results. But I'm also in an insanely competitive category. I'm doing SEO against other SEOs. I mean, there's a lot of industries where it's still waking up in the morning and having breakfast. Like there's, you know, there's a lot of industries where there aren't hardcore marketers researching content, you know, continuously and, you know, trying to publish and rank for these super competitive phrases. Um, I wouldn't be intimidated by the fact that there's people who've been doing it a while. What matters is your audience, your relative uh, competition, and uh, what would it take to be one of the best on a subtopic in your industry? Uh, the bar is not as high um, for a lot of industries. There's a lot of industries where there aren't Christophs and Andys and, you know, hardcore marketers who've been doing this a long time. And, you know, what's interesting about that comment, too, is I, I, was, ta- I was working with a real estate agent, uh, probably top five in the market, right? and on digital marketing and i said why are you even doing this you're like in the top five you don't need anything else and she goes yeah but the reality is that i need to know what's what i need to do next Mm -hmm. right and she says hardly anybody is doing digital marketing today nobody's blogging for sure nobody's doing podcasts nobody like people they they do what they've done right with some Mm -hmm. i mean with some different lead gen right like if you look at a house online you have to give your email um, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean you can't do other things. So, um, just something to keep in mind for, um, for everyone as yeah. you're getting started. Yeah. Even if you're out in front, you should market like you're being chased by a wild animal because you probably <laughs> it are. Is, <laughs> it, they, there's someone out there gunning for you. It's very, very competitive. It is great. Thank you for sharing all the insights, Andy. Uh, you can uh, connect with Andy and check out all his articles, orbitmedia.com. And if you need website redesign, uh, they can help you with that too. Andy, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. What a great conversation. 
That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win. Thank you.